What a testimony. Jesus responds to that call and says, I have come that I may heal, not the well, but the sick. Not that any of us are well, but that he pleads, if we will humble ourselves and admit that we have brokenness in us, that he will save, that he will heal. If you would, turn to Micah chapter 3 as we continue our sermon series through Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk that has been entitled Repentance for Revival. I said this last week, but it bears, bears repeating that if I were to go out into our congregation and to ask individuals, or if we were to hand out a survey, an anonymous survey, I don't think the results would be that much different either way. But if we were to, to ask individuals, do you desire, do you long to see revival? To see a movement of God where he places himself first above all things. That to see a movement of God where God's people fall in love with him and are pursuing him. Do you desire to see an awakening where the hearts of the lost are opened and they come in droves to confess their sins and pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ? Do you desire that? The vast majority of folks... Not just in this church, but I'm guessing in every church across the United States would say, of course we do. Of course we do. But then if I were to turn and say, are you willing to be broken over your sin? Are you willing to confess that we have at times put something else before Jesus Christ and to repent? My guess is there would be a little bit more pause on that. There would be a little more thought given to that question. And yet what we see in Scripture and even what we see in history from the time of Christ on is that revival is always preceded by an understanding of the depth of our own sin and our need for ongoing repentance it is always a seeking of grace. Because even as believers, though we desire to follow him, though we have made a commitment to follow him, at times we are, as the song says this morning, prone to wander prone to leave the one we love, and we too are in need of repentance. It's not a one-time deal that we do at the moment of salvation. We are constantly in needing to turn back to the Lord. And so if we desire revival in our churches, if we desire awakening among the lost, then it must start with us. It must start here. Lord, I am broken. I need repentance. I need your grace. Micah chapter 3. Micah turns his attention with this message of warning and repentance. He turns his attention to three groups. The political leaders of the day. The prophets. And the priests. Together they make up the leadership of of Israel and Judah. 
Everyone looks to them to see where the country will go. And Micah addresses his message to those three groups in this chapter. And it is not all that flattering. If you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. We're reading all of chapter three. And so if the middle of this, you need to take a seat. You totally understand that. Let's hear from the Lord this morning. Micah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, And break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who led my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be bleak over, black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall call all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. And Lord, we... We hear this message of warning. And certainly, Lord, it is hard to hear these things. And yet, Lord, we are reminded again that this is the outcome of sin. Lord, that we are reminded that sin leads to unspeakable, unthinkable things. Our sin. Not just the sin of of those in the past, not just the sins of others, not just the sins of, of those we would think of as evil, but Lord, the sin that lies in our hearts, Lord, it leads to destruction. Father, may we hear the word of warning. May we know the word of repentance. And may we find the word of grace. May we embrace it. May we live in it. May we know its blessing.
Father, we pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Micah has, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, been dealing with the sins of both Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And he has been warning them that because of their evil, because of the things that they have done, that destruction is coming. And now he turns his attention in chapter 3 to lay the blame at the feet of those that were in positions of leadership. He does not spare them. Now remember, this is the time of the kings Micah is preaching this message over the course of probably 20 to 25, maybe even longer years to those that don't want to hear it. King Ahaz, who took up the majority of Micah's ministry, at least in terms of kings of Judah, was an evil king. He shuttered the temple. He closed down the worship of the one true God. He, he led the people to worship idols. He led the people to do evil things. He himself did unspeakable, unthinkable things. Can you imagine declaring to that kind of king who has power over life and death, For you in the immediate context, declaring to him, you are evil. Not an easy message. In fact, it's a hard message to deliver, not just because of its content, but because of the potential outcome. And yet here Micah goes. First, he addresses, as I said, the evil political leaders of the day. He says, and I said, hear you, O heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from their off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from them and break them into bones and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Those are some pretty graphic words to describe these kings of Israel, these kings of Judah, who had abused those that they were supposed to protect. Look with me at Romans chapter 13. I want want to just show you something very quickly. This was not the way that it was meant to be. Romans chapter 13, Paul speaks to us and says, this is what, this is what is intended. Chapter 13, starting in verse 1, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed to those who resist, will, and sorry, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now remember, Paul writes these words about the government to a people who find themselves under a Roman emperor. The Roman government of the day was not exactly known for their kindness towards Christians. They persecuted them. 
And yet Paul says God has instituted government for the good of people. They keep at bay chaos and anarchy in the worst form of that word. They are there to encourage good and to punish evil. That is their that is their meaning. That is the, the purpose that they are there for, that God has allowed them to, to get to the position that they are at. And yet Paul can, or sorry, yet Micah condemns the kings and the rulers of the day because they have taken that purpose and they have turned it on its head. Now they are not the caretakers of the people, but rather they are those who pre- that are predators of the people. They pursue them. They consume them. Not literally, but they desire what the people have and they, they steal from them. Rather than to encourage good, they discourage it. Rather than to punish evil, they practice it themselves. In this way, they have perverted justice. They are meant to keep the law, to enact the law, to make sure others follow the law. And yet what they have done instead is what he describes in chapter 2, verse 1. They have devised wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They sit and they scheme and they dream of how they can get what they want. And then the next day they go out and do it because they have the power to do so. They have perverted justice. Micah says, because of this, they have lost the ear of God. Verse 4, then they will cry. Then they, the leaders of Judah and Israel, they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Micah declares that these leaders, these government officials, these kings, these princes that have been meant to take care of people because they have done the exact opposite. Now God, just as they have turned their backs on their people, so God will turn his back on them. It's a scary thing. It's a frightening thing to think about that we would that there would be a point where we call out to God, these, these men, these even in their evilness, that they would call out to God and God would say, no. Here's the thing, though, and we're going to see this, and, and I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. If a king is in a place where he is in peril and calling out to God, do you think that means that those under him are doing well? Probably not. If a king is in peril to the point of crying out to God for God to save him, then my guess is the people under him are in just as bad a shape. Keep that in the back of your mind. Micah speaks to the evil political leaders. He speaks to the false prophets. First, he says, you've led them astray. 
Thus says the Lord, verse 5, Let thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. These false prophets had led the people astray. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Hebrews, along with some other places, let's, reminds us that, that God gave the Old Testament individuals prophets. In the New Testament, he continues to give prophets. It's a, it's a gift to the church. But in the Old Testament, prophets played a specifically, specifically important or especially important role. Because in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in every individual. We understand on this side of the cross and on this side of the resurrection that everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and asks for forgiveness of their sins, that God gives them an incredible gift. He gives them the Holy Spirit. His presence lives inside of us and with us so that as we go through life, we are reminded of the path that we're to go on. As we come to difficult places in life where we have to make difficult decisions, that the Holy Spirit goes with us. As we have difficult conversations, that the Holy Spirit is reminding us of the Word of Christ and that He's putting words into our mouth. It is an amazing gift that we've been given. But the Old Testament, not everyone had that. Not everyone had the Spirit walking with them in that way. But the prophets did. Or at least they were supposed to. The prophets were individuals that God had called unto himself and that he had given them the Spirit that they may declare the words that he gave them. He tells Jeremiah, when Jeremiah says, but I'm young. He says, don't say that you're too young. I am giving you a message and you will speak it wherever I tell you to. That's a filling of the Spirit. But most people didn't have that. So they looked to the prophets for the word of God. They looked to the prophets to say, the country should go this way or that way. At times, they would come to the prophets with a, a disagreement with someone, another citizen, and they would say, hey, we can't resolve this conflict. Would you help us in this civil dispute? And the prophets would pray, and they would ask the Lord to give wisdom, and they would make decisions. The prophets had a responsibility to lead the people and direct them to say, hey, that's not the way we should go. That's going the wrong direction. Let's go this direction. Or to praise and say, that, that is good. Let's keep going that way. Or when difficulty came, when enemies came and, and declared war on Israel, it was the prophets who would say, I know this sounds crazy, but this is what God wants us to do. And then watch God do just amazing things. Amazing things on the behalf of his people. The prophets had a special role. But Micah says to these prophets of this day, just as he speaks to the evil political leaders, he says, you have led my people astray. Like a, like a shepherd who has taken his sheep the wrong direction. And rather than leading them to green pastures and to water, he leads them into the desert to die. You've led my people astray. You've done so for the sake of money. 
They were accepting bribes. That's what he means there when it says that he cries peace when he has something to eat and declares war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. The prophets were being bribed. They were being told what to say. The king, uh, put a picture in your mind, the king looks out at his people and sees that they grow restless because of maybe the economy or maybe because of the threat of war. And he wants to calm everything down. He wants to turn the temperature down in the kingdom. And so he goes to a prophet or maybe a couple prophets and says, I need you to say this. I need you to declare to the people this message. And rather than standing before the people and saying, thus saith the Lord, and leading them to Christ, leading them to God, rather than doing that, the prophets were standing there and they were saying, thus saith the Lord, let's follow the king. Let's trust in the king. And the kings were giving them money and saying, maybe this will make the taste of that lie a little less bitter. They were accepting bribes. Micah says there's, there's coming a consequence Thus says the Lord, or sorry, verse, going down to verse 6. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They will cover their lips for there is no answer from God. He says they will become blind, they will be ashamed, and they will be alone. Again, these are the guys that are supposed to be able to look into the future and say, this is the way we should go. This is the way we should not go. And now they are blinded. They don't know their right hand from their left, much, way, much less the way that the country should go. They're ashamed. All of their words are going to come to nothing. They're going to be proven false. They're going to be proven uh, to, to be a fraud. And they are going to be alone. Just as the kings, the, the political leaders of the day are going to cry out to God and desire for him to save them and God's going to, to turn his back on them in the same way the prophets are going to look to God for answers and God is going to remain silent. Again, I ask you though, if a prophet of the people no longer has the spirit of the Lord with him, and no longer can lead them towards grace, can no longer lead them in the way of the Lord, and he no longer has an answer for the, in the time of distress, do you think it's just the prophet that hurts? No. It's the people too. He speaks to the evil political leaders, he speaks to the false prophets, and he speaks to the tainted priest. Now, for the priest, he does not, they do not have their own section. They are just included, they're included in the rest of the group. Starting in verse 9, it says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice, who make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests Teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord 
and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Leviticus chapter 10, 10 through 11 tells the priests, You are to distinguish between the holy and the common Between the unclean and the clean, you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes of the Lord. The Lord has spoken to them by Moses. The priests were there. They were supposed to be the ones that that allowed and helped the people of of Israel to follow God in the day-to-day. The prophets, to think about it this way, the prophets were at a 10,000-foot view, and they were just saying, hey, we need to generally go this direction. We need to generally go this direction for all the people as as a rule. The, The priests were there to say, hey, this is how you're supposed to live life every day. This is, this is what the law says about this thing that you're dealing with today. This is how you're to deal with this particular sin. This is how you're to deal with mold. This is how you're to deal with this. Like there was all these things, right, that the priest was there to, to give guidance for and to help with. He was the mediator between God and the people In those days, you couldn't just bring a sacrifice and ask for forgiveness on your own. You had to go through a priest. You had to bring your offering to him, and he took care of it on your behalf. He laid it on the altar on your behalf. He went into the temple on your behalf. He sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat on your behalf. What what an incredible responsibility for an individual, and yet... Micah looks at these priests and says, you are tainted. You have participated in the injustice. You're you're just as bad as these political leaders and the prophets. You've participated in the same thing. You've condoned the violence. These priests looked around. They saw what was happening. They were not oblivious to the The realities of the people, they were not oblivious to what the kings were doing. They had condoned violence rather than speaking up and saying, no, this is wrong. Which was their job. It was their calling. They had become greedy. It says that they taught for a price, just as the prophets said, thus saith the Lord. And then they would speak the words of the king for a bribe. So too, the priest had become greedy. They were no longer teaching what benefited the people and what was from the word of God, but rather they were teaching whatever benefited them and their benefactors. Jesus' day, he looks at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the people, and he accuses them of putting large burdens upon the people. They had taken the law of God and they had expanded it in their own minds and in their own practices and placed it on the people for their benefit, the the teacher's benefit, not the students. They become greedy. And in doing all those things, they had brought ruin for all. Verse 12, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the house, a wooded height. Here we see the culmination of what we've been talking about. That when the leadership is bad, when 
when the political leaders, when the spiritual leaders of a land are tainted and corrupt, and the consequences come down, it is not just on those leaders, but it is on all people. It is on everyone that's under them. Why so? Because the righteous have a responsibility. You'll notice as we've gone through chapter 3, or at least I hope you've noticed as we've gone chapter 3, that I skipped a verse. That we have reread everything except for one. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, But as for me, Micah says, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. You see, the... The prophet who is filled with the Spirit, the righteous one, has a responsibility to speak. To make others aware that wrong is being done, that repentance is needed, or there is consequence. As we look through chapter 3, as we talk about political leaders that have lost their way, as we talk about spiritual leaders that have have lost their way, it would not be hard for us to say, I see a picture of that. I see a picture of that. At times, even in our own country, of political leaders who are not out for the good of their people that they represent, but political leaders that are out for their own good. Not all of them. There are wonderful public servants in our government. Wonderful individuals who genuinely care about the people that they represent and desire for them to have good. But there are also those who do the opposite. There are wonderful pastors, wonderful Sunday school teachers, wonderful church and spiritual leaders in our country who desire to speak the truth of God's word, but there are some who are tainted, who have desired their own good and their own blessing. And we have a responsibility. We are to be filled with the Spirit. Now remember, in Micah's day, this wasn't an everybody thing. It wasn't an everybody thing. Micah Micah was a prophet of God who had been filled by the Spirit, and not everyone could understand what that meant. But in our day, again, on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, on this side of Pentecost, we have been given. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and repented of your sins, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have been made righteous. Not because you have done good, but because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has put on your account. When God looks at the the spiritual bank account of your life, he does not see your sin nor your failures. He sees the goodness of Jesus. You have been made righteous. You have been given the Spirit. But with that comes the responsibility. We are to seek justice. You heard earlier Micah 6, 8 read. It's good for us to refresh that. Micah 6, 8 says, He, God, has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You 
brother or sister, you have a responsibility to seek justice, not just for yourself, but for all. James tells us that faith that is alive, faith that is real, is caring for the widows and the orphans. In those days, that would have been those who had no voice of their own. We here today, we have a responsibility to widows and orphans still, but there are other groups that we can identify who have no voice of their own. Do we seek justice for them? Even if it may, even if it may put us on the wrong side of popular opinion, even if it may put us on the wrong side of a political agenda, even if it may cost us? Or do we seek it for all? We are to seek justice and we are to speak out. We have been called ambassadors for the kingdom. We have a responsibility to take this good news that we've been given of the gospel and go and tell others about the kingdom of heaven and the good King Jesus Christ. We are to speak out when there is evil in our midst and to call it what it is, to not turn a blind eye to it once. To issue the word of warning, the word of repentance, and the word of grace. It's not always easy. It certainly wasn't easy for Micah. And yet God gave Micah an incredible gift. He gave him an incredible gift. He got to see the fruit of his obedience. Now this doesn't always work out this way. God is concerned with your obedience, and then he takes care of the, the outcome. Ask Jeremiah. Jeremiah preaches the same message, and Jeremiah ends up writing the book of Lamentations. It doesn't always work out the way that we want it to. But Micah gets blessed in his obedience as he speaks this, this difficult word of warning, this word of repentance, this word of grace. He gets to see repentance that leads to revival. He gets to see the fruit of obedience. Jeremiah 26. We read this chapter a couple weeks ago, but Jeremiah 26, 16 through 19. Jeremiah is being drugged before the leaders of the land, interestingly enough or ironically enough, by the priest and the prophets, so that they may put him to death for speaking a word against the people. And in verse 16, you see the response to that. It says, then the officials and all the people said to the priest and the prophets, this man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Notice that's the end of the chapter we just read. And then they say this, did Hezekiah, king of Judah and all of Judah put him to death? Did he, Hezekiah, not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against him? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. These leaders say, we got to listen 
You go back to 2 Kings chapter 18 and you see what they are talking of. We see the historical record of, of this revival that they speak of. It says that Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And then we get a record of what he does. In verse 3, he says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made an offering to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor were among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And he goes on to talk about other things that Hezekiah did and other things that, that he accomplished. But we see first the repentance, then we see the revival, that there's a coming back to the Lord in Judah. Samaria, by the way, sees no such repentance among their kings. Assyria comes and Assyria wipes them off the face of the map. And then Assyria turns its attention towards Judah and it surrounds Jerusalem and it makes threats against the kingdom. And Hezekiah, having already repented, having already seen revival in his time, he prays to the Lord and the Lord takes care of Assyria. He just wipes out the army. No no, uh, no army of Jerusalem needed. He just takes care of it. God relents. God doesn't bring about the destruction that, that is talked about in Micah because they repented. Because they walked in obedience after God. Because there was this revival. God does this glorious, merciful thing. Can you imagine Micah? 20 years of ministry preaching this message over and over again. And then onto the scene comes Hezekiah and Hezekiah listens. God opens his ears and Micah gets to see revival. What a pleasure, what a joy that must have been. Oh friends, we have a responsibility to speak. We have a responsibility to warn to take the gospel of grace to those that need to hear it. And we pray, we pray that we get the honor and the blessing of seeing the fruit of Micah. To see repentance. Things broken down, idols in our lives broken down. Revival to come and salvation to happen. This morning, as I ask the praise team to come back up, we have a time of response. Will you speak? Will you speak into the life of a brother who is struggling or a sister who is struggling and say, hey, I see this thing that is hard. I see this thing that is wrong. How can I pray with you? How can I walk with you? Will you speak into the society and the culture of our day to declare praise for what is good, but to call out what is evil, to not turn a blind eye, 
Will you speak for those who can't speak for themselves? Will we do it for one another? Will we look at our own hearts and ask the Lord to reveal places where we have put something else before him? That we may repent of it, that we may see revival. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I I declare I'm not perfect. That's going to be a surprise to absolutely no one. But we need to admit it. We need to say those words. I've sinned. I've allowed other things to come before you. And I'm sorry. Father, turn me back to you. Give me my first love for you. Let my passion, my desire, my energy be focused on you. Father, I pray that for myself. I pray for revival for myself. I pray it for this church. I pray it for our community. Lord, may it begin in us. May we be willing to be broken, to be contrite, to be repentant, to speak difficult things even, that we may see you do miracles. Father, we pray these things in the beauty of Jesus Christ's name. Amen.